Alternative Radio. What's going on, everybody? We are back. This is episode 149 of the Dark Windows podcast. My name is Kevin. I'm the other Kevin that can't lead it off because, you know, I get yelled at. <laughs> I didn't yell at you. I was just asking questions, man. Just asking no, questions. No, you basically said, what the hell's up with this? I said, well, fine, never mind. I wasn't expecting it. I was like, wait, what? It's like uh-huh. getting a finger in your butt, like at the hospital. Like you're like, I just came here to get my teeth cleaned, and all of a sudden there's a finger in my ass. I wasn't expecting this. Well, if you're getting your cl- teeth cleaned at the hospital, there's something wrong. I've been to the hospital for my teeth before, but that's because my teeth are fucking terrible. But anyway, not cleaned. No. Anyway, this week we are going to be joined by a special guest for a very interesting episode. Uh, he should be with us here shortly. But this is a guy that kind of fits into a couple of different categories that we've covered on the show before. Um, We've obviously covered badasses. Not all of them have been good guys. That's fine. We've obviously also also covered some true crime. And for the first time, we are going to talk about a professional athlete. So now we just got to wait for our guest to join us. Because this week we've uh, we've opened up the old Dark Windows podcast hotline, old school 1990s WCW style, to our special guest, Seth Broadstone. Whoa, whoa, whoa there, slap nuts. Say it again, but with some feeling, please. Hold on. <clears throat> Let me back up. Seth Broadstone! I think I nailed it there. No, I listen, don't. I, listen I don't here, feel you it. I don't feel it, Brony. That sounds great. But I, I don't feel, feel it. A little bit better. Eh. Listen, I'm dude. Still I'm not, not feeling it. I'm not fucking Howard Finkel by any stretch of the imagination. We all know that. I've got too much hair. We'll do it again. But, okay. <clears throat> Seth Broadstone. What? Oh, Are fuck you, Captain you. Fucking Caveman now? <laughs> Captain Caveman! Hey, man, I tried different eras of announcers, and it just doesn't work. Nothing's good enough for this guy. He's fucking better than us. <sighs> well, you know. Want me to just get right into it, or do you really want to Do you want to play your, your reindeer games? Oh, go for it. Let's see what you got. Well, back when I left this show, you know, life was going swell, boys. Till something happened and blew everything out of hell. I found out you two marks were talking about pro wrestling. Well, you pencil neck geek Kevin Carlton and you great eating freak Kevin Hire. You both scum sucking pee heads, lousy physiques. Y'all both got no guts with a losing streak. So let's see if this Mastodon right here, baby, can bring you to the dance. So you know what? Let's go. Okay, Mastodon? so first of all, Mastodon. First of all, whoa, guess whoa, whoa. Guess what whoa. time it is? Guess what time it is? The eight forty-four. Oh wait, no, never mind. I know what time it is. It's podcast time. Let's go. <laughs> so first of all, 
lousy physiques. You're absolutely right. No guts. You're wrong. I've got a big gut. So clear that up. Not a quarter. (laughs) baby. Oh, Jesus. That's true. And God damn it. If he wasn't one of the best managers of all time. And one of the best Mike guys. Now. Okay. So top, top three pro uh, pro wrestling managers of all time. I think we can probably agree on a few of them here. Jim Cornette. Yep. Paul Heyman. Yep. And Bobby the Brain Heenan. Okay, perfect. We we nailed it for the three of us, for three in between me and you. Wow, I mean, come on now. Now you're missing one. Who? Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Oh, I don't like him. But Jimmy Hart's definitely top five, though, for he, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Heel he in can the sell 70s. like nobody's business. Jimmy Hart in the 70s and 80s, especially when Jerry the King Lawler broke his leg and he came in talking about how uh, Jerry the King needed to be like a uh, broken leg horse and get put down. That was a pretty good promo. But, I mean, Bobby Heenan's definitely, like, the guy that everybody wants to be when they're a pro wrestling manager. Because he's, he's fucking Bobby Heenan, you know? But, and he, and so, he was the brain, son. All right, so what are you boys talking about? true. Like, I came in here originally to try to get me one of them our promo codes from one of those Gooch shavers. <laughs> But oh, the Crotch Blaster 4.0? <laughs> yeah, man. But apparently you guys are uh, talking about some other stuff. Yeah, we do like a podcast over here. I mean, it's a thing. What the fuck is a podcast? <laughs> it's internet radio for fucking... What uh, the fuck is the internet? I don't know. It's some that shit that fucking wrestling that... marks came up with. Yeah. To look up That's... porn. Yep, Anywho. that too. <laughs> So we've covered some guys on this show that have had some wild ass nicknames, but this guy maybe takes the cake. Uh, his given name was Ion Kroitoru. And uh, oh, yeah. So he was born December 7th, 1963 in Hamilton, Ontario to Romanian parents. Obviously, Ion, not necessarily a Canadian name. Uh, the first time I looked at it, I thought it was maybe Ian, but it's not. It's I-O-N. So it's, we'll go with Ion. The true to the crew, yeah. the big <laughs> Or so okay, yeah. So let's let's Johnny. just get into that. Like this dude had this this guy went by a few different names. The one he's most well known by would be Bruiser Bedlam when he wrestled uh, down south. You know of uh, the eighties AWA in that whole era, right? So he grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, and. He played hockey as a kid because he's Canadian and that's what Canadians do. They come out with a stick and fucking, you know, a mouth guard and stuff. So he, he played hockey all through like elementary school and middle school and did some like um, senior league, like minor league hockey. Uh, never made it. He, he wanted to go to the NHL or the CHL, never made it, but considering his size and just everything he was into, he decides he's going to hook up with a couple of guys by the names of Nick DiCarlo and Vic Rossettini. Uh, Both of them were pretty well-known pro wrestlers in their own right in the area. So the way he actually met these guys was he was bouncing at a bar in Hamilton um, when a couple of dudes got into a fight and there happened to be a pro wrestler there. And he picks one of these guys up at the back of his pants and throws him out the door, grabs the other guy and just like chucks him out on top of him. And uh, one of the, one of the 
pro wrestlers that was there is like, hey, I know this guy, Nick DiCarlo. You should go talk to him. He could probably make some money in the ring. So I kind of imagine that he, as like the uh, Uncle Phil with uh, Jesse or Jay, whatever, from Fresh Prince. When Uncle <laughs> Phil used to throw. Uh, you mean jazz? Whatever, man. <laughs> Jesse, whatever. You're I close. I, You're close. I think his Christian name's Jeff, but you know, I'm, I I could be wrong. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. But it, the other thing it reminded me of was uh, the Road Warriors and how they got their start because they were both bouncing bar, and then somebody came in. They're like, "You guys are fucking huge," you know. How the roids treating you? Yeah, exactly. Do you, y'all like cocaine and money? Yes. Cool. <laughs> Do I ever have a deal for you? The funny thing is, Bruiser Bedlam is actually my height. He's like six foot. He's yeah, built but, like a brick. Yeah, he's a he's a brick shit house. The guy is huge. Um, so he gets into the business and he spends about six months training with uh with DiCarlo and Rossettini, and then he moves to Calgary and starts working for Stampede Wrestling. So Stampede was kind of a huge, like a huge deal in Canada from the forties up until the late eighties to early nineties. And it produced some of the best pro wrestlers that have ever, you know, strapped boots on and gone into the ring, including Brett and Owen Hart. Um, Man, because Stu, their dad's Dan or Stu. It, it, yeah, exactly. Their, their dad is the promoter. Um, also ran the dungeon where he tortured grown men. He was like, he was in his 60s and 70s, and he was just beating the living shit out of guys in their 20s and, like, late teens, early 20s, and making them scream while his wife's upstairs, like, cooking eggs and shit. Some of the other guys that came out of uh, out of the dungeon would be Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Brian Pillman, Davey Boy Smith, who was the British Bulldog, for anybody that doesn't know, the Dynamite Kid, who was a great worker but kind of a huge asshole in real life, and another one that is a potential possible topic for the show but i don't know how well how we'd want to do that would be chris benoit also worked in stampede very true um say what you will about him he was he was fantastic in the ring very very good wrestler i don't Um, hold anything against him no you almost you almost have to look at him as two different people you know but that's like a lot of these guys specifically the person we're talking you're talking about right now where it's you have there are pretty much like two face from uh batman you have the one side which is the gimmick and then you have the home life and some can be the most craziest outlandish character in the ring and then at home they're quiet and reserved or vice versa and no then there's some like kind of like rick flair which then they start the, the the gimmick and the true life start to blend together yeah but for ben why it was the the brain injury that you know so many times getting slammed in the head that yeah. caught up with him. I mean, that and the, uh, the, the other things that were going on there, like chemically. Um, yeah. Cause he was, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he actually was on like on roids or not, but he definitely had a, uh, had some issues with, uh, you know, occasionally painkillers and shit like that. Like any of these guys did, because you go out there and you beat yourself to death for a living you're going to get hurt. You know, you're going to have to try to figure out how to deal with that and then still go out and keep working every night. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I might be wrong in this cause I might have it backwards. You guys will correct me. I know it, but <laughs> before he died, wasn't Eddie actually already dead. Eddie Guerrero. 
Yes. He yeah. actually had already he had died. So he was suffering with that too. Yeah, that, that was another big reason for a lot of the stuff that happened with him. Because him and Eddie were really close. Oh, yeah, definitely. Friends. And then Eddie was also suffering with a lot of other issues. So it's, like I said, it's a lot of times they see these big showman gimmicks in the front of the screen, but they, no one ever realizes what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Because you see the character, you don't see the person. Yeah. Kind of like strippers. You know? Yeah, exactly. You see the character right in front of you, but you don't realize what they got going on. For real. Uh, yeah. Or, or well, others can relate exactly. to something else different. It's like a soldier, you know, they come home, you know, they have. I, I think anybody can, anybody listens to this show can relate to strippers. Yeah, but I'm saying about a soldier coming home, they have PTSD, you know, they might put on a good face that they don't have it. They don't have sure. anything wrong with them, but you know, it's until like somebody sees like a breaking point, you know, and yeah, then they it's like, oh shit, wow, what he, the hell's wrong with this guy? You know, he's a nutball, or you know, they find out that he just you know killed his whole family and then he commits suicide, and or he just commits suicide for no reason. What the hell? The uh, the the non visible injuries are sometimes worse than the ones you can see. That's no joke. Okay, so back when he when he was in Stampede, he was given the name Orhan Turgadin, which was uh, translated to the Terrible Turk, and he was given that by uh, by the Booker Bruce Hart at the time. Um, funny thing is, not even remotely Turkish. Uh, both of his parents, again, full blooded Romanian, and he was a Canuck. So <laughs> they're just like, ah, he looks like a Turk. He's got the big mustache and shit. Fuck it. He's he had a now. wrestler known as the Mongolian Stomper, and yeah, guess what? He was 100 pure blood Canadian. Yeah, he's, I thought he was from fucking like Wisconsin or some shit like that. But no, Wisconsin, he, Canada, yeah, same no, difference. Pretty much. Oh, or uh, what's his name there? Uh, oh, fuck. Uh, God damn it! The guy that was uh, Yokozuna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Yokozuna. Not, not you know Japanese. He was no, Hawaiian. he's Samoan. Yeah, he was a big old Samoan. Um, the Chief J Strongbow was Italian, so I mean, <laughs> Kane not really burned at all. No, no te- technically, uh, technically a holds dentist? dual citizenships as uh, as a uh, uh, an American and a Spaniard because he was born on a uh, Air Force base and a dentist. Yes, also was the Unabomber for a little bit in uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but you know, Christmas <laughs> Tree Monster. Don't forget about that one. That's my favorite. Oh God damn it! I hated that. That ranks right up there, like with the worst for like the fucking Yeti. Ugh. Oz, WCW. Oh Jesus, yeah. Ugh. WCW was awful. Like in the early nineties, they were god awful. Anyway, get back on topic. Not. Yeah, <laughs> it, they were though, dude. They were a cartoon, just like WWF was. <laughs> He's just shaking his head at me. Kevin was a big old WCW fan back in the day. Um, hey man, we all had our vices. That's true. I did the flip and flop. <laughs> Mondays were a very interesting time. We we're just like, oh, commercial here. Let's go back to WCW. Commercial here. Go back to WWF. That's what I did. I wasn't and then goddamn a... Rick Rude shows up on both the same night. Blew my mind as a kid. Thought he was a twin. <laughs> so he uh, he wrestled in Stampede for a, a fairly short time, about a year. Uh, he leaves and starts bouncing around the Canadian independent territories. He spent some time 
in the uh, the maritime area. So like Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, uh, Prince Edward Island, uh, New Brunswick, that whole that neck of the woods. And he returned to Ontario and worked for Superstars of Wrestling. And he would work through Canada until 1985 when he was noticed by one of the biggest promotions of all time, the AWA. He was in the AWA at the same time that their roster is absolutely stacked with uh, some of the biggest pro wrestlers, like names in pro wrestling that have ever existed. Uh, guys like Sergeant Slaughter, Ric Flair, the Road Warriors, Dusty Rhodes, uh, the fabulous Freebirds, Arn and Ole Anderson, who are not brothers, by the way. Thank you for letting me know about that one. I had no idea. Yeah, they're not even cousins, <laughs> which destroyed uh, my world because I was a huge Anderson fan. Yeah, and then you're like, but wait, they're not? And uh, you, also had, you also had guys like the Rock and Roll Express and Jerry the King Lawler were there at the time, too. So he... He was there with a, he had a, a big roster, you know, he had a lot of big name guys around him, which almost makes you wonder, you know, if, if he had just stuck to wrestling instead of the other extracurricular activities we're going to get into here shortly, he, he would have had a, a great list of guys to work with where he could have advanced himself and actually become a bigger name than he was, I think. Mm-hmm. So one of the again one of the biggest names in the territory at the time was Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, most people will probably remember him as a WWF announcer. Puppies. Yes, <laughs> but he did actually wrestle, which a lot of people kind of forget because, you know. Yeah, he wrestled. Uh, uh, he had a big thing with. Um, oh, what the fuck was it? Uh, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, Andy Kaufman. Yep. Back which, in the what? No, what is it? Seventies, right? I believe uh, so. Late seventies, early eighties, somewhere in that neck of the woods. Yeah, no one could tell if it was real or fake, and it wasn't until like five or ten years ago where he was like, it was actually all a work, and it was all Andy's idea. Yeah, Andy was a funny motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a weird dude. Then he also had that giant uh, "kiss my foot" thing with Bret Hart, where uh, that was fucking gross, but. Um, so at the time, uh, Jerry Lawler is the AWA Southern heavyweight champion until August 16th, 1985, when he gets in the ring with Ion Kroitoru, uh, Kroy- oh, fuck this guy's last name, Kroitoru, who would actually like knock him off. Uh, Jerry was the longest running champion at the time. Um, and he dropped the belt on August 16th, but would actually recapture it September 6th before um you know because they, they did that a lot of the time where if somebody needed a couple of weeks off to go do something to go do um uh they were they had other commitments they had to do or they were taking time off they would drop the belt to a guy and then come back a couple weeks later and just beat his ass and take it back doesn't happen so much now uh but it, it definitely did back then so after after that uh he would actually head back north uh, in October of 1985, and he signed a contract with the WWF. Uh, his time in the WWF is not what a lot of people would consider successful. He he pretty much jobbed out to a bunch of different guys. But the interesting part is bef- when he got there, he had actually changed his name, his ring name, to uh, Johnny Canine. <laughs> and he got this name because he was involved in a giant bar fight uh, in his hometown of uh, Hamilton. 
And as he's being dragged off by the cops, he's, he's like, he looks over, you know, towards one of the police cars as they're dragging him to the paddy wagon. And it says canine on the side of it. And he goes, that's a good name. I'm going to use that. So he went, started going by Johnny canine, not realizing that canine meant dog. He just kind of <laughs> thought it sounded cool. can come out of nowhere. <laughs> Pretty much. So he was, uh, he was with the WWF for around five years. And, um, Again, he was he was jobbing out to most of the guys, and anybody that doesn't understand that term is uh, basically means you're going in there and you're getting beat by other guys to make them look good. Um, and considering this guy's size, it, that took some doing because he was like Seth said, he's about six feet tall and he weighed two hundred and seventy pounds. Just this big fucking thick dude, barrel chest, giant bald head, thick ass Fu Manchu mustache. Um, he can legitimately power lifters. Yeah. Um, he can legitimately bench press 600 pounds. Like that was Whoa. like, no, no joke could actually bench press like 600 pounds. Um, and he had a tattoo across his stomach that says true to the crew, which we'll get into the meaning of that here in a little bit. Oh, I can't wait for uh, that. <laughs> so he, he would go on to lose matches to uh to guys of the likes of uh pedro morales tito santana paul orndorff and probably the biggest name that he ever counted the lights for was hulk hogan um tito santana i haven't heard that name in a minute pedro morales when was the last time you heard that one you know okay that one too holy shit take me back (laughs) i mean paul orndorff i've actually seen him recently because i just Seth got me into watching Smoky Mountain Wrestling about a year ago. And uh, he was there kind of for the very beginning of it. And like, you could tell he was getting a little older at that point in time, but the dude was still just jacked to the teeth. Fucking terrifying. Just giant, huge, muscular guy. Yeah. Order of Follies was built. Yeah. I mean, he had a good, you know, I guess you would call it wrestling physique. Oh, yeah, for sure. No. One of the best pile drivers you'll ever see, too. Not a good landed him guy, just right. Okay. Nah, his talking kind of What's sucks. that? Not the best promo guy, but that's okay. No, he, yeah, yeah, definitely not a. No, definitely not not a promo machine. Um, so he would. Uh, from there, Mr. Canine would uh, would end up going to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, like we were just talking about, and work for a guy by the name of Jim Cornette. Um, and Jim had kind of seen him at like a, a an independent show because he was always. Oh well, we'll get into it because I've got a quote from him. He says, uh, "I was always looking for heels to take back to Smoky Mountain, and Johnny Canine was not a name that thrilled me." I was a big Dick the Bruiser fan as a kid, and this guy had that big Bruiser, Brock Lesnar type look to him. Bruiser Bedlam Wrestling was the clip compilation showed uh, shown on Bruiser's WWA ending in the early 80s, and Bedlam was a famous mental institution in England in the old days, so Bruiser Bedlam became his new name. Um, and Jim Cornette's one of these guys where if there's a pro wrestler that has existed between 1900 and now, he knows stuff about them. He's a, he's a fucking wrestling savant. Like you, you need anything, you know, you need a, a fun fact about anybody in pro wrestling. He's got one guaranteed. Yeah. There's a reason why the vice documentary guys go to him first. And if he knows it, 
he allows him to go into his house, which he's dubbed the the castle. Yes. Because he has wrestling programs from like the 20s. He has posters. He has some of the very first ticket stubs. Hell, he has some of the old wrestling promoters, like actual books for when they used to write out their, their programs and everything like that, that he will refer to on his podcast. He's a very polarizing individual that you don't know if you're going to love him or hate him. I personally like him because I'm more of a fan of the old school wrestling and he hates if you make fun or light of the business now and you basically poke fun and make a joke of it, like wrestling a blow up doll or a dick spot or yeah, visible hand grenade of certain wrestlers fame and notoriety. Or if you wrestle a child in Japan, he's going to, yeah. he's probably going to rip you apart. Yeah. Not uh not a not a Kenny Omega fan by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I didn't I didn't actually know that uh he was that much of a uh wrestling enthusiast or oh, historian. Yeah. Enthusiast, not even a word for him. He is yeah. uh, definitely a diehard. Yeah, a historian of of the yeah. of wrestling culture. I didn't because I didn't he, know I didn't know he was that much. Cuz he, he if I'm not mistaken, I think he broke in as a photo- like a photographer for like uh Mid-South, right? Yes, and then uh, yep. went from there. He kind of like one of the guys decided, "Hey, I think you, you know we'll get you in here, and you'll have you know, have you manage or whatever." And uh, and anybody that watched wrestling back in the eighties and nineties, he was the big loudmouth son of a bitch with the like the bright suits and the tennis racket. Always talking about how he's going to get his mom to uh, yeah come <laughs> and his mom's money and all sort of stuff but one of the best things he's ever said is like he knew he was a joke and was willing to be a butt of everybody's you know whatever and he fed jim ross a tagline of i am at my country club i am the best mixed tag you know partner or whatever it is ever and my uh, my team my team member he told me that i was the best or something like, like along those lines <laughs> like basically insinuating that on a mixed tag, he's you know the best that his male partner told him. <laughs> basically taking the role of the female wrestler there because he was yeah. not a wrestler. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. He did get chucked off like a twenty foot scaffolding and get all fucked up by um, the Rock and Roll Express. The or was it the Road Warriors? Road Warriors that threw him off. Of, yeah, just like hucked his ass off of a fucking scaffold, but. um but you know it was his idea to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Had, had yeah, yeah. Kind of. It was his idea to go off. It wasn't his idea to land the way he did. <laughs> to well. destroy one of his knees. Yeah, because he landed feet first and, like, fucked his legs all up. But, he's again, he's one of those guys where you either love him or hate him. There's not much in between on Jim Cornette. Uh, but very knowledgeable when it comes to this stuff and booking any kind of wrestling matches or, you know, scouting talent. He was... He had, a, he had an eye for it. So the, the one of the main reasons that he had never heard of Johnny Canine is that every time he had started going out, like heading north up into uh, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, shit like that, like for scouting, um, pretty much every time he was up there, uh, Johnny Canine was in jail, which is why he had never met him <laughs> until that fateful day where he uh, decided to bring him back to Smoky Mountain. So God, I love that guy. Cornette, what's that? I love that 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 about that guy. You know, he could have had a job anywhere, but he just couldn't stay out of prison because he was yeah. just that crazy. <laughs> so Cornette would also say more than once that uh, that when Bedlam was working for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was based out of Knoxville, Tennessee, 
that he never moved to the area. Instead, he would drive down every week for tapings from Canada in an open top Jeep in the winter with no fucking shirt on. Where's he, <laughs> fucking Wolverine? Jesus Christ. He's Canadian. They're impervious to cold. And here's the thing, too. Never late. No. He like, was always on time and always willing, never complained about a single thing. So he was essentially brought in to settle a feud between uh, uh, Commissioner Bob Armstrong, who was also the progenitor of a fucking ridiculously talented wrestling family as well, and uh, Jim Cornette, who was managing the Heavenly Bodies, but was also behind the scenes the actual owner and promoter of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. But he no, was one of the... He was also the leader of the Bob Armstrong fan club when he was younger. Yes, which is why he wanted Bob Armstrong as the commissioner. Because it's like, why not work with your childhood hero? It'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's why you guys are working with me. Exactly. <laughs> I've, I've looked up to you since I was a kid, man. I still look up to you because you're taller than me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. But uh, un- unlike Vince McMahon, Jim Cornette is one of these guys where when he interjected himself into the business, like into storylines and stuff. He wasn't the focus of it. And there was a very good chance he was going to get dumped on his ass more times than not. Um, like we, we could do an episode just on him, just telling some of his crazy stories where he fucking got, he had some guy jump a railing and he brained him with a tennis racket and bloodshot like 20 feet into the air. Cause he hit him with the metal part of it, like right in the head. Um, but that was back in the day where wrestling fans would actually try to fucking stab you. If you're one of the, 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 the heels, they didn't like you. So while he worked for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, he was involved in a series of matches, which included uh, going up against guys like Macho Man Randy Savage and uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, who he beat both of. So they were, they're like they they were looking at this guy going, okay, he uh, we we could use him as a talent going forward because we don't have a lot of guys built like this in Smoky Mountain. There's a lot of uh, a lot of smaller guys, but mo- they're, they're more Smoky mountain wrestling was, was more based on technical wrestlers. Like guys that were actually really good in the ring. They didn't have a lot of giant dudes that were just going to be hard to move around. And even the yeah. big guys that they had could move. Oh yeah. Also he had a match with, uh, with cactus Jack, uh, AKA Mick Foley, which uh, if anybody doesn't know, Mick Foley is probably one of the best humans that's ever lived. Um, we and, are forgetting uh, one fact with the uh, Macho Man Randy Savage uh, match. During before that match, actually, Macho Man came up to Jim Cornette and told him that he liked that guy. He liked his style, liked everything about him, and wanted since you know he was only there for a one shot, for one match basically, that he wanted to put that guy over. And because he's like he's your champion, he's one of your elite main guys. It's not right for me to win. And I know I've known him from the past. He deserves to go over and he beat him clean in the ring. And, and that's ring, which usually does not happen. Not to Randy Savage. <laughs> no, you know, not when you're the biggest name that's ever walked into the company and you're only there for a little, like a short period of time. And you're like, no, we're going to give this guy a shot. So he would finish out his time with Smoky Mountain wrestling after a series of cage matches against, uh, Tony Anthony, who was uh, at the time was he was the dirty white boy, if I'm not mistaken, right? You are correct. 
because he also went on to be TL Hopper in WWF, which was fucking terrible because he was a really good wrestler. And they're like, nah, take a plunger and show everybody your ass crack because your dad was a plumber. So, yeah, because that's how WWF worked back in the day. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a job, including, you know, I don't know. Duke the Dumpster Drozzy was a pretty cool one, though, in all fairness. Yeah, except for his uh, drug problems. Yeah, that's true. The Repo Man, I did not like him. He kind of irritated the shit out of me. Stealing people's shit. Agreed. I wanted him to steal people's moves. I thought that would have been funny. That would have been way better. Instead, he's like trying to fucking steal Randy Savage's hat and stuff. Like, no. No, don't do that. That's that's stupid. Um, So his career would kind of tail off <clears throat> through the late 90s to early 2000s. He spends a lot of time bouncing around through North America, having matches against guys like uh, Marty Jannetty, uh, again, Cactus Jack, Al Snow, who anybody, if you don't follow wrestling, uh, back in the 90s, he was the guy that came out with a mannequin head. Everybody wants a mad. <laughs> it would uh, throw bowling balls at guys' dicks in the, uh, in the corner, which is fantastic. He also had a couple of matches against Greg the Hammer Valentine, who was a giant dude who uh kind of looked like he should have been like a uh a, a, a lesbian softball coach but um i wouldn't have said that to his face because he would have fucking snapped me in half um, well, it looked like he was pissed or stoned to be in the ring yeah i say wasn't he like one of the i, th- I think didn't he have like a whole he was but he was a great wrestler though because he actually oh, had yeah. like the championship a few times i believe back the day and he intercontinental champ too i think too i, yeah, I want to say i want to say he, he was big in the nwa right seth or was he awa also uh uh greg valentine uh greg, yeah he was a, he was a hand, pretty much is everywhere he was his most notable for the rhythm and blues when he was with honky tonk oh no yeah and that was kind of the launch of him just looking like why am i here why am i doing this why do I have this mullet? Pretty much. Why'd you dye my bleach blonde hair? Blonde? <laughs> but yeah, you know, w- wicked good wrestler though. And he also had a couple of matches against, um, unfortunately at the time of, uh, of writing this, uh, uh, a guy that we could definitely cover, uh, unfortunately has recently passed away. He was fucking crazy and he was super goddamn violent. And his name was new Jack. This dude was just like ripping lines of coke off the bench in locker rooms, jumping off 20 foot balconies onto dudes, stabbing guys in the ring. Um, he threw a guy off a scaffolding trying to kill him. Um, <laughs> so that's because highly recommend when, if you. That's not because he was trying to kill him just because it was because that Vic Grimes, when they were doing a spot, was going to they were both going to go over and land on a bunch of tables. Vic Grimes pussied out at the like towards the end of it where when the spot was about to happen and landed on his motherfucking head. He had brain juices coming out of the skull and lost vision in his right eye and had permanent brain damage from it. He he also stabbed up a 17-year-old kid that lied about what how, how old he was to get into a match. And he, he fucked know. that kid he wanted, up. He wanted to get some color. He didn't know how to do it. Go uh. to New Jack to ask him to do it when he is motherfucking New Jack. Yeah. And New Jack's like, are you sure? And the kid's like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to get color. He's like, do you know how to do it? He's like, no, can you do it for me? I, I'm going to do it for you. 
<laughs> and New Jack was very good at making people bleed. <laughs> um, highly hard. recommend going and checking out, uh, go and check out uh, the episode of Dark Side of the Ring that they did with New Jack. Super entertaining because the guy was fucking crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he, he kind of bounced around, had matches all over the place with a bunch of people. Um, he started doing chain matches, which I'm not 100% sure. I think that's kind of like when you're you're chained together or is that when you can just like beat the shit out of each other with a chain or a little typically, bit of both? Typically it's when uh, you are chained together like a dog collar. Okay. That, that's what I know of him as or know of it as I should say. So this, th- he did a lot of this in ICW, which was um, based out of like the Northern United States and also parts of Canada. Um, and he actually had a pretty good run there as a, uh, he's basically the face of the company. Like everybody knew him because they did a lot of shows in Hamilton. So like they're in his hometown a lot. So everybody knows him. He's the, you know, the, the big hero. And he actually had a few matches against a, a guy by the name of Typhoon, who was also a huge Canadian. Um, uh, he, he tagged up with uh, earthquake. Fred Ottman. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I, I, I going... can see the wheels turning and I'm like, Ah, he yeah. Was tug- <laughs> he was tugboat. That's right. Yes, he was. Of course, he was. Because that's when he came in. That's, that's when he started off, right? As tugboat. Yes, and then he became a uh, typhoon, and then teamed with earthquake and became the natural disasters. And then, sadly, yeah, buddy, WCW and became the shockmaster, which he became a laughing stock. <sighs> my feelings still to this day. Yeah. Which is too bad because he was a really good wrestler and that he just he accidentally fell through a wall in a fucking bedazzled stormtrooper helmet the one time. Well, if you look and, at uh, it, he was pretty much doomed to fail because when they made that fake wall, they put a piece of two by four at just above ankle height, lower shin. Yeah. And they never told him. No one knew that it was there, not even Dusty. And that's when he took the digger was because no one knew it was there. And of course, you know, he's in a, like you said, a bedazzled stormtrooper helmet and you can't <laughs> see it that. He couldn't even talk out of it. They had to have somebody else do the promos for him. Yeah. And then he came back as an electrician. Yeah. <laughs> Which was even worse. So. <laughs> oh. God, nerd. But Hey, that's why I wanted you to come on. Cause I was like, somebody has got to tell us all this, all this like stuff that I didn't cover. As I push and up my I, glasses. Well, actually. <laughs> and I don't know a bigger wrestling nerd than you. So that's why I was like, hey, you know what? This has got to happen. So after after everything in ICW, so you may think this is where, uh, where you know, where this ends with a somewhat mixed career going from territory to territory, um, getting into matches with some of the, some big names uh, to basically advance other people's storylines to make them look good. Well, you know, he kind of just did whatever for him. Uh, but that's not where the story ends. It's not even close. But that's where the first half of this episode is going to end. I think we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to finish this off. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
And we are back. Okay, you guys ready? I feel fully trimmed. Yes. <laughs> Manscape. So throughout his adult life, Ion Kroitoru spent a lot of time in jail for an assortment of charges. Uh, remember I mentioned the true to the crew tattoo beforehand? Yes, sir. So this is where this whole thing comes in is he got that tattoo in jail and uh, he did an interview with uh, former referee Brian Hildebrand and uh, Jim Cornette where they asked him like, what's the tattoo mean? And the only explanation he would give him was, I met some guys in prison and we decided to get this tattoo and you didn't want to be the guy that got out of jail without the tattoo to find the rest of the guys that had, because if you went against your word, you'd probably die immediately. So he, he kind of got in with some bad dudes his first round through jail. Yeah, and... it was definitely, if you look at this guy and think about when he went to jail, he got a tattoo because he was scared of them. And when yeah. you see this guy, he is a scary looking human being. He's a scary, scary motherfucker. And for someone like him to be terrified or scared for his own safety, that shows like how serious it was during that time. But also it, it's kind of telling of the era as well. He he looked like a cartoon genie on steroids. Yes. <laughs> no, you know who he reminded me of looking at him? He reminded me of Bull Hurley from Over the Top. <laughs> you turned that backwards when you said that? I did. I, I definitely, uh, yeah, I see that. Yeah. I was like, no shit. I, as soon as I saw him, I went, holy shit, it's Bull Hurley's twin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Are we going to just start arm wrestling now? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> Let me get on my 18-wheeler and, like, rip the sleeves off my shirt. <laughs> Come on. Let's go right now. <laughs> So according to Jim Cornette in an interview that he did with uh, with uh, Bedlam, he learned that he learned about the the time that he spent in jail, like the first couple times he spent in jail um, were because of uh, well, the big one was trafficking cocaine. And uh, Cornette would say he wasn't like the kingpin or anything. He was mostly the messenger that delivered the coke to the buyers because he was fucking massive and terrifying. Uh Cor uh, Cornette then went on to say that uh, this kind of thing didn't surprise him, but he didn't think that he had killed anybody or done anything serious. Well, maybe at the time he hadn't, but most of his trouble would come as the result of him becoming uh, a member of the Hamilton, Ontario chapter, and then eventually president of the Satan's Choice Motorcycle Club. Now, who are they uh, tied to? I don't know if they were tied to anybody. Um, I know that Canada's got some weird ones. Uh, I know they've got the Hells Angels, which I, I'm not real sure because looking into it, I don't understand how Canadian bikers are somehow more violent than American bikers. Because they don't apologize. Are... They do everything. <laughs> like th there's there's a couple of uh, of Hells Angels from Quebec that I definitely want to cover that are proof of that, that these guys up there are a completely different breed for some reason. But the Satan's choice was kind of like one of the smaller clubs in Canada. They were uh, um, kind of like what you'd consider like a second tier to like the big guys. So they would have been around with like uh rock machine and like those guys like that. But 
uh, Rock Machine were actually tied in with the uh, the Hell's Angels eventually, I believe. Yeah, um, his uh, his crew was tied into the Hell's Angels. To be honest with you, I I could have it backwards. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, hey man, you never know those things. You're never really going to truly find out, right? Um, but again, yeah, the the Canadian bikers for some reason are fucking crazy. So, so he did spend 10 months locked up for the cocaine charges and he spent another seven months locked up for assault. And then he started doing some side work when he got out, which was collecting debts for the Italian mafia, you know, the Canadian Italian mafia. And, uh, I mean, it, it does seem like kind of a weird concept to have a Canadian Italian mafia, but it's a thing, I guess. Dude, mafia you know, can be anywhere. That's true. But usually when people are like, oh, Italian mafia, they're like New York, Chicago. They don't think, you know, East buttfuck uh, Ontario generally. <laughs> but, you know, it, it happens. He said that when he went out collecting for them, he very rarely had to get physical with anyone because most of them uh, kind of saw him and just handed over any money that they owed. Um, and he really enjoyed working for these guys because he didn't really have to do anything. He'd just show up and be like, Hey, dickhead, you owe me money. And they're like, you fucking, yes, I do. How much? And uh, as he's doing this, he's kind of making himself more of a name in the Canadian criminal underground. Uh, December 15th, 1996 is when things get real interesting for his club. They, uh, they show up at a strip club and the owner approaches them and gets in his face specifically, starts poking him in the chest and telling them, you guys got to get the hell out of here. You're not allowed in here wearing gang colors. And he took that personally as anybody in a one percenter motorcycle club most likely would. And they left and decided, you know what? Fuck this guy. We're going to blow up his strip club. So <laughs> yeah, I Kevin's eyes just got huge. <laughs> That's not very neighborly. Holy shit. <laughs> so they go back to an abandoned seven 11 that they were using for a, uh, a clubhouse because it's, it had just kind of, you know, it, it was abandoned. They're like, fuck it. We'll just sneak in here. Um, and they've got a couple of like the ice machines inside that they're using as uh, storage areas. And they have some pre-made explosives in one of the ice bins. So they grab it and head out into town. You think they put it in there that way they could keep it cool. So it didn't go bad. Possibly. I don't know if there's a, I'm not sure if, uh, if explosives are a, uh, uh, you know, a expirable item or not. You I mean, I'm know. sure eventually. Have one uh, of your listeners look that up. I think it depends. We, we, we know, unfortunately landmines never expire because there's still people in like Korea and Vietnam that are getting their feet blown off all the time because of those fucking things. But, um, oh Yeah. That's because they're preserved once you bury them. They just like locks in the freshness. Probably not the right way to put that. No. <laughs> There's your editing quote for the night. <laughs> Ziploc presents the new landmine containers. It locks in the freshness for when you need to accidentally kill a child in a field. Not good marketing. Well, you don't like um, that left foot anymore. <laughs> I'm looking to lose some weight. Kablam! There goes my leg. Not like that. Guess what? Now you look. Now you're model fan. Oh. So so after Not they leave, 
after they leave the clubhouse, they kind of have a change of heart. And they're like, you know, maybe we shouldn't blow up the strip club. But once you get a boner to blow something up, you got to blow something up still, obviously. So they bombed the local police station instead. <laughs> the police done nothing about it, you know, didn't do anything to them. They're just like, you know what? Fuck these guys. <laughs> um, so the explosion they, caused. They probably apologize for it. Sorry for having our building in yeah. your way. <laughs> Sorry you know. we blew your stuff up, eh? <laughs> well, you know what? we can't blow up the the club anymore so you know what fuck it we'll show our power yeah police station's next those bitches have a couple that shows the importance of boobies exactly it's like those ladies were really nice to us they you know they they were polite you know some of them got to go to nursing school in the morning yeah some of them are are are, you know astronaut vets or whatever you know it's fine it's we can't put them out of work these cops though so the uh, the explosion at the police station caused $133,000 in damage Canadian. So like sixty four ninety five here. Or a box and, of um, Yeah. Oh, shit, dude. I, I, you could buy a lot of Hortons with that. That's a lot of coffee. Their donuts are pretty good, too. Um, it did also injure uh, an officer and damaged the bank that was connected to the police station. Uh, and they were arrested and charged, obviously. And... Uh, it was about two years that they sat in jail before they went to trial. Um, basically, they had the world's longest bond hearing, which was two years, where they were in and out of court, you know, like pre-doing pre-trial stuff like that. Um, so after about two years, again, he posts his own bail so he didn't have to sit in a cell and wait. <laughs> so he gets out in the beginning of January of 1998, and about two weeks later... He gets arrested again, this time because he beat the shit out of a former Satan's Choice member in front of a cop. (laughs) The guy was talking shit on the club and he grabbed a hold of him and just started wailing on him. Uh, The cop came over. According to what people have said, the cop came over and tapped him on the shoulder. He stopped and just looked at him and stood there and the cop arrested him. (laughs) What you doing there, buddy? (laughs) Kind of like doing a, there, uh... kind, of, kind of like a, what? What did I do? <laughs> you had it coming. I, to, to me, I, I would, I would be more like, I would think he looked over and he's like, oh, hey, didn't see you there. I'll stop now. <laughs> so sorry. I wanted to apologize for my actions to you, the crown, the rest of the government, uh, but not this guy. He's an asshole. <laughs> Don't you know? So he's booked for the assault. Um, it, he's actually got he got charged for a couple of different things after that. Uh, there was an unrelated uh, extortion charge that they tagged on, and a carrying a concealed weapon charge because he had a handgun with him. But surprise, honestly, you got surprise. You got to give him credit because he could have just killed this fucking guy, but instead was like, "I didn't spend all this time learning how to bench pet, you know, bench press six hundred pounds to shoot a guy." I'm going to grab him by the ankles and snap him like a wet towel. Cause that's what I can do. No, um, that's called making a point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you can't make a point if you shoot him and kill him. And, I mean, you make another yeah, point. But, you know, it sends a message. Yeah. It's a different point. So while he's in jail, they're like, you know what? While you're here, 
I think we're going to charge you for the police station bombing again. But since they can't charge him for the act of it again, because he's already been charged for it, they decide we're going to get you for conspiracy to commit a bombing. So it's potato, potato. It's the same crime, but we're charging you from a different angle. So we can't get ourselves in trouble. Mm. So he was uh, he was sentenced to 33 months for everything, um, including the assault, the bombing, everything that he was in there. He was he was uh, sentenced to 33 months. And while he's in jail, a confidential informant flips on the club and told the police about another uh, about. I'm sorry, told the, the police about their involvement in drug dealing and other activities that pretty much every one percenter motorcycle club gets up, uh, gets up into. Um and the police would actually raid and seize the Satan's Choice Clubhouse in uh, Hamilton. So at that point, the club kind of disbands, I guess. Uh, the national national president chapter comes in and shuts them down. They're like, you guys are doing too much crazy shit. You're drawing too much attention, like negative attention to the club. You're done. So it, it, it's not it's not really clear how the timelines work here. What is completely clear is that he was doing all of this shit and being a professional wrestler at the same time. There wasn't like, I'm going to get out of wrestling and then go join a motorcycle club. There was a parallel timeline. (laughs) One of the funny things that actually I heard was that he did a lot of this crazy stuff because he was actually terrified of the group and he hated them. So he was looking for ways how to get out of the club and basically was hoping to get kicked out. But for the club, they were okay with it because he was drawing all this crazy attention on himself and not on the club. Right. So it gave them opportunity to still do a bunch of crazy things. For instance, uh, rumor has it that he and one of his friends went to a subway to get dinner one night. And as crazy as it sounds, he was in there shirtless. Which, you know, as we established, he... Of course. <laughs> shirts are a hindrance to him. He doesn't like them. He's like Randy from Trailer Park Boys. He's allergic to fabric. <laughs> Basically, yeah, actually. They're Mr. Um, Leahy, you know I can't wear shirts. <laughs> so, while... Yeah, you know. And while being in there, a uh, the gentleman that was working at the establishment was like, sorry, sir, you need to put a shirt on or I'm refusing service. Obviously, him being him like no i'm not wearing a shirt so the kid was like fine then i'm not serving you you can get out well apparently now again this is all rumor from his friend he walked every single person every patron that was in there out of the restaurant slowly locked the door walked back (laughs) and told the kid make my fucking sandwich now or i'm gonna turn you into a cyclops i'm gonna rip (laughs) your eye out i'm gonna make you eat it so the kid made him a sandwich uh bedlam went over unlocked the door at, before people could come back in he handed him the money for the full price for the sandwich and a hundred dollars and as he was walking out with his food said make all these people their sandwich on me <laughs> so as much as he was this crazy lunatic a lot of people said like in the smoky mountain days some t- like a little bit of the wwf days he like in person was a genuinely good dude. He was very nice, very considerate of other people, always willing to help out, willing to do the job, willing to do whatever. But behind the scenes, as we talked about before, 
loses nuts. But a lot of people <laughs> believe he was doing that just because he didn't want to deal with the club stuff. So if he was in jail or he was in trouble, they would leave him alone. And they were like, whatever, man, he can do all this stuff because he's drawn all the attention on himself, not us. Because he, you know, true to the crew, he doesn't say anything about the gang. The only thing that would have made that funnier is if he was like, hey, listen, you're going to make me my sandwich or I'm going to shove a whole provolone cheese up your ass. Like the whole roll of it. <laughs> I'm going to put it there and I'm just going to kick it up as far as I can. It's going really to chip teeth it, when it stops. I really want to know what a sandwich was. Was it like a meatball and tuna fish sandwich or something like something? It weird? was probably something stupid like fucking, I don't know. It probably had can a bunch of a- like tomatoes and olives and shit on it because he's a weirdo. <laughs> can I get a pepperoni sandwich with no pepperoni? <laughs> You just want the bread? No, motherfucker. I want a sandwich made of pepperoni with no bread. Yeah. Okay. Take that bread and put pepperoni in it and then take the pepperoni out and then toast it with extra mayo. (laughs) Rub the bread with pepperoni. I want the essence of pepperoni in the bread itself. But I'm a vegan, so take it away. (laughs) 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 Oh, shit. So so now that he's out of the club, he went back to trying to do some like odd jobs for organized crime families and ended, ended up uh, uh, working for him on and off. He started selling a uh, hash and like some other drugs, obviously, because he's Canadian. And apparently like from my drug expertise with Canada comes from like trailer park boys. So it's like it's all hash and weed. I don't know if they do anything else up there. Um, but yeah, so he starts selling shit like stuff, that. The breakfast item in the can. Oh, dude, I would totally be at like a fucking corned beef hash dealer. No, Ion, we need oh, you man. to get this hash from the the guys down the road. Okay. What kind is it? Like roast beef, corned beef? Is it turkey hash? Is it like, is there potatoes in it? Uh, no, it's like the drug uh, hash. We, we may need yeah, to send somebody so... else with him. <laughs> yeah, this hash is like a drug. It's so delicious. Especially if you crack because... an egg in it while you fry it. Oh, my Jesus. Get it extra crispy. Oh. Oh, that shit is good. So, uh, you know, again, so he, he's selling drugs. So th- there's a rumor that he was put on a flight by one of these, uh, one of the heads of these families and uh, sent to the Caribbean to beat the crap out of a guy that had stolen a bunch of money from the family. So he flies to the Caribbean, beats the shit out of this guy, and then just gets back on a plane and goes home. It's like, not like, hey, well, I'm here. Maybe I'll, you know. I'll, you know, grab some jerk chicken or something, hang out on the beach for a little bit. He's like, nah, I'm just going to beat this guy up and go, go, you know, go home. It's too warm here. Yeah, we, he, he's Canadian. I I can't wear a shirt here because if I do, I'll die. Like, yeah. you guys, you know, I'm going to have to take my pants off to beat this guy up. Again, he's Randy from Trailer Park Boys. Kick your ass, Rick. So then in 1997, things get a little bit more intense um, a hitman by the name of Ken Murdoch, which, by the way, is the best fucking hitman name of all time. No way. He's a private eye. There's there's no way. I mean, Ken uh-huh. Murdoch, I think either hitman, pro wrestler, or like relief pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds in like 1982. No, I thought it was Private Murdoch's tag team partner. <laughs> <laughs> I think private eye, you know, or private a cowboy. Dick. Ken Murdoch would be a hell of a cowboy name. True. True. He's from the Midwest. So, so, so this Ken Murdoch fella, he kills a higher up in the uh, in the mafia. Again, the Canadian mafia. And that's a difference. It's still a it mafia. <laughs> Listen, they, you, you cannot confuse Canadian with American mafia. I mean, come on. 
Joe said yeah, he's because... confuse a lot of shit. I still don't understand how magnets work. <laughs> I mean, the, the American-Italian mafia, they're all like, hey, man, my mom makes really good pasta sauce. And the Canadian-Italian mafia is like, my mom's gravy for poutine's fucking perfect. Okay, I want to be a part of the Canadian mafia instead. Yeah. Me too, especially if there's poutine involved. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like Italian food, but... I like gravy. I will take all the carbs, please, and thank you. Well, there's carbs in pasta. But there's not as much because there's there's more there's there's like taters and cheese and gravy and poutine. So it's like Irish nachos. It hits all of them. You know what? I got nothing. <laughs> so of the men considered to go after this uh, to go after Ken Murdoch and you know for some revenge, Ion is near the top of that list. And there's actually a story. that uh, Murdoch as part of that contract had been also contacted to go, go kill Ion. But when he got there, he realized who he was and was like actually a fan of his when he was wrestling. So he didn't, he just, he spared his life. But that one sounds like bullshit. That sounds like a bullshit story to me. <clears throat> this oh guy's my like, God, Mr. Ion, I was sent here to kill you, but I'm not going to do yeah. that. So can I have your autograph instead? <laughs> I mean, yeah. oh my god, I've been a fan for such a long freaking time. Oh my god, I'm so sorry, but you know, can I'm I so get sorry. the autograph? Listen, I know I just killed the head of a mafia family, but you're like, uh, you're like, uh, I was gonna say Canadian Hulk Hogan, but not that big. You're like uh, Canadian, uh, the Canadian uh, Bret Hart. I don't know. <laughs> you're like Canadian Bret Hart. <laughs> You're like Canadian Sid Vicious, kind of, so I don't think I'm going to shoot you. That dude, that dude spent a lot of time playing softball and breaking his legs. Ugh. Have you seen him now? No, no, I'm not, but... Look up Sid Vicious now with his crazy uh, middle-aged housewife hair. Does he still look like uh, like Brock Sampson from uh, Venture Brothers? Just skinny. Kind of adorable. He's like, I was terrified of you. Yeah, any, anybody that wants to see the grossest thing ever, Google Sid Vicious Breaks Legs. Oh, oh God. He came off the top rope. Holy shit, that was disgusting. Oh, All he does the boys look out like a... back. Told you. <laughs> he, he does look like a, like a housewife. <laughs> yeah, man, he's got all like, it's like cute curls. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, one of the most scariest men in the world now has... Stay-at-home mom hair. You don't have, and I don't have half the brain that you do, Kevin Nash. Wait a minute. Wait, can I restart this? No, we're live, pal. <laughs> oh, Mean Gene was the best. Put that goddamn cigarette out. <laughs> so, November sixteenth, nineteen ninety-eight, a criminal defense attorney, Lynn Gilbank, and her husband Fred were murdered in their house uh, just before sunrise. They were shot execution style five times between the two of them with 12 gauge shotguns. Oh, they basically look like the guy from Roboc Robocop, Alex Murphy. Yeah, I mean, I think that at that point rude. in time you're just a you're just a puddle almost. Uh the worst part is their 19-year-old son found them oh, when he came home from work. No. Uh and this would kick off a six-year, multi-million-dollar investigation. Uh, at the time, it was one of the biggest 
most expensive uh, um, police investigations in the country's history. Okay, I feel uh, bad for that kid. Yeah, there. And, you know, it's weird because there is a theory out there that he actually killed his parents, but I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. Like after listening to the interviews with him, where he is just a fucking like sobbing mess. I, there's no way that kid, that kid killed his parents. I highly yeah. doubt that. Um, so in 2004, the police offered a deal saying that any, uh, saying anyone that was willing to help close the case, uh, would get immunity. So if they were involved with it and they just wanted to get it off their chest, come on in, we'll take your story. All good. No charges. Even if you're the one that pulled the trigger, we want to solve this. So someone comes forward January 6th of 2005 and the police pick up Ion Kroitoru uh, and Andre Gravel and another man uh, unnamed that I'm assuming got released. Uh, the most sensible reasoning for that is that Gilbank had gotten Angie and William Smith uh, into uh, witness protection after they gave up information on the Gravel crime family, who Ion was working for at the time. They wrapped Ion up into it as an enforcer for the family and charged him with two counts of first degree murder and two counts of conspiracy to commit murder. And he would spend the next 20 months in prison waiting for his trial. So again, he spends a lot of time in jail waiting for trial. Yeah, which is always the worst part, I would assume. Yeah, you're just sitting there. You can't, you know, you can't go anywhere. It's you know, and, and then you have God only knows how long the trial itself is going to last. And then if you're yeah. found guilty, you're going to prison for however long. Um, <laughs> June 12th, 2006. All charges against our boy Ion are dropped after the prosecution put forward evidence that the court threw out because it was foggy at best. Part hmm. of the part of the evidence was a transcript from a fucking lip reader where they had him on film and the lip readers like, oh, no, this is what he's saying here. But I don't know, maybe. So he's released on a hundred thousand dollars bond because they brought in a lip reader as their star witness to talk about a conversation that this guy's having stupid stupidest thing ever it's like hey let's bring in a psychic instead oh don't you know miss cleo would be here to help you (laughs) (laughs) he's talking about that jerk poutine (laughs) oh my god that'd be fantastic right think about that so now he's out of prison it's 2006 he's trying to turn his life around um goes to the bank to get a loan because he's decided he wants to start a home improvement company. And the bank realizes this guy's been in and out of jail for most of his life. He has zero credit because basically all of the money he's ever made has been illegal. (laughs) Um, So they are like, no, fuck you, leave. So instead he starts selling used cars. (laughs) And I mean, you imagine this guy trying to sell you a car? Buy this car, fuck face. <laughs> hey, drive good. You see the Prius? I can bench press this motherfucker. Woo! <laughs> you want to see how strong this is? Bring it over to the wall. I'll get up on it. I'll put my back against the wall and I'll put my feet on the bumper. You hit the gas and I'll hold it in place. You can see how good these tires are. Look at them suck a smoke. And if you, you, you know, your, uh, your credit app came back bad, he'd just throw you on the ground and use that stupid ass, like, stomach, stomach claw, claw that he had for a finisher. Where it's just like, I'm going to pretend I'm grabbing your belly, but it's like tickle time. 
Fucking Terry <laughs> Smothers is kicking his feet. <laughs> Listen, you want to see what it's like to run somebody over? What it feels like? How the shocks work? You can run me over. I'll do it. I'll sit here. Here. They hit him with a car, and he's like, <laughs> they hit him with a car, and it falls apart, and he's like, let me take you over to our new, our new department. Maybe use this isn't for you. Oh, God. He's out there just fucking chucking tires across the parking lot at lunch. I gotta stay in shape. Uh, so in 2008, a war kicks off between, I swear to God, I can't make these names up, the Red Scorpions and the United Nations Gang. So, uh, yeah. Uh, wasn't the United Nations Gang in the WWE? Didn't I have like Rusev and Sheamus? That was the League of Nations. Close enough. <laughs> Which was a bunch of bad guys that just stole the name of the good guys from World War One, which doesn't make a whole bunch of fucking sense. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, there's a couple of real poorly named gangs. Um, the best part is the Red Scorpions are led by three brothers, and their last name is Bacon, and Kevin is not one of them. With this whole little war stuff, like, kind of gets hot, like, real quick. There's uh, there's drive-by shootings, uh, stabbings on the streets rolling gunfights from car to car like up and down the highway uh innocent bystanders getting shot it was it was ugly it got ugly very quickly and investigators had gotten a hold of some recorded conversations and a video of the un gang leader clayton roush uh meeting with a man who looks suspiciously like i was due to all the evidence that they have on uh, on film He's picked up on May 15th along with seven other gang members and they were all charged with uh, conspiracy to commit murder. So December, uh, December, 2009 Roush pleads guilty uh, to transporting and smuggling 418 kilos of cocaine, 1300 kilos of weed and hash and money laundering. So he's a busy boy. His smuggling empire included a fleet of vehicles, including semi-trucks, boats, helicopters, and planes. And it was around a $26 million a year operation. So he was making bank. I mean, obviously, if you're buying private helicopters, you got to have some money because they're not cheap. I give these people all the credit in the world to be able to do all this stuff. And I don't even have a motivation half the time to mow my lawn. Right? It's like, do I have to start doing drugs or like selling drugs to have any motivation to live anymore and do stuff? Uh, this could get me in trouble. I did it once of the selling and I did it. Mm, I did it a lot. And then I, all I could tell you was after a while, I just got bored. I was like, this is boring. Yeah. And the other one where yeah. it was like of the selling, I was like, I did it. I was like, yeah, I'll help my buddy. I'll do this one time. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like this. This doesn't feel right. I feel yeah, like no, I'm it's kind of yucky. Yeah. I feel crazy. So January 24th, 2011, Ion gets charged with first-degree murder for the killing of John Barber, who is a stereo installer and a friend of one of the uh, Red Scorpions leaders. So he's dri- uh, Barber is driving uh, one of the guys, uh, his uh, I believe it was a Porsche 911. So he's driving it. He had actually just picked it up from the guy's house. He was driving it back to his shop to install a stereo on it and a van full of UN guys roll up and they kind of cut out in front of him and open the doors and open the back doors and just start firing into this car. Um, 
they killed him outright pretty quickly. And his girlfriend was actually in his car behind him to, you know, cause they obviously had to take his car there to pick the other one up. Uh, she took a whole bunch of bullets in the arms and hands. Uh, she ended up surviving, but uh, right. John Barber was not so lucky. He got the crap shot out of him. So in 2013, Ion and a few other UN gang members plead guilty to the murder charges. Um, and he was sentenced to 13 years, but it was reduced to, it was reduced by four years due to the time that he had already spent in custody for the crime. So because he had been in jail for two years, they knocked four years off of it, which doesn't make any sense. I can see knocking the two years off. It's great math. I'm telling you, you know, it, it's, it's great Scott math. Steiner math is what it is. He's already yes. been here for 33.3% of his his time that he's he's needed to, which means if you multiply by that the amount of times that I've done steroids this afternoon, you get about four years in jail. <laughs> Big Papa Pump. Big Booty Daddy. Freak Mama. Uh, so he applied for parole in 2014 and in 2015 and was denied both times. And he blamed being wrapped up in the whole thing on people picking on him because of his look and his size. Well, he did have that one random little bit of rat tail that was off to the left side of his head. Yeah, it's a real weird placement. I mean, yeah. It's like, do you want this centered up? Hell no, man. I want it to the left. I want to spin my head all weird. It can whack me in the ear. And it wasn't that long either. It was only about three inches of hair, but it was like off on like the back corner of his head. And it was like, it just looked fucking stupid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like his barber had a heart attack and died like partway through it. And he's like, ah, I'm going to leave it there in memory. <laughs> it's Respect. remembrance hair. <laughs> Every time he loses a match, he points up to the barber. That was for you, buddy. And you, you fucked hear, up my hair. And you hear, I will remember <laughs> you. <laughs> That's his walkout music. Yeah. <laughs> This fucking barber's Actually, ghost is his manager. Since he was kind of terrified of the of the crew, you know, doing all this stuff, I bet twenty bucks that they actually told him to do it. And he's like, I don't want that. I don't want to look dumb. We don't care. You're gonna do it. But I don't want to do it. Do it. Realistically, he's just like a little fat kid that, you know, in gym class doesn't want to get picked on. So he you're gonna do it, you're gonna like it. Okay. <laughs> so I just like I just cool? like the <laughs> I just like thinking that the guy built like this is like, well, they were picking on me and they were mean to me. So I had to do it. Like, dude, you got bullied. How big are these fucking guys if they're bullying you? You're built uh, like a Coke machine, for Christ's sake. Built like, built like Rey Mysterio. Right? Bunch of tiny little dudes. And they're like, you giant fuck. You suck. <laughs> maybe, he's, maybe he's like an elephant. He's tiny to the small things in life. He's, he's, he's a sensitive sort, you know? I'm sensitive. Look at me. I stub my toe and I still whimper. So do I, but that's just being a person. Hmm. Okay, so cool. he was that released he, right I mean I I hit my legs on everything I hate it he's released from jail in August of 2016 and he asked to be sent back to Ontario uh, and he was told no because like all of your buddy all of his buddies and former associates were still there and he was banned from ever like not even ever going back into Hamilton Ontario which is his hometown He's been exiled from town because he, because of his shitbaggery. Shame. Um, Shame. <laughs> they, they put Shame. him on a donkey at sunset and just like sent him out into the woods. 
So he ended up being shipped to a halfway house in Toronto uh, because that was basically the only place that would take him. And he wasn't super happy about it because it was a place that held what he referred to as undesirable offenders, which would be like um, French Canadians. (laughs) I mean, for sure. Definitely. Um, but these were mostly like sex predators and like your general like creeps like that. Um, so he was like, I so, don't so French Canadians. Oh Whoa, shit. Shots fired. Come yeah, on now. Fuck them. They don't speak English, so <laughs> the views of one Kevin Higher, aka Speedy, aka K2, is not of us Dark Windows podcast. Not of you. I agree with him. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Then I'm good with it then too. Cool, cool. We're good. We're as a as a partial French Canadian, I'm allowed to say that. Me too. But still, I knew you'd see it my way. Uh-huh. As a guy who can say French and Canadian, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Parlez-vous? Fuck you. <laughs> so he really he really didn't want to be here because he's like, if you guys leave me alone with these people, I'm gonna beat the fuck out of all of them. Or they're gonna pick on um, worse. Right. Um, you imagine this guy getting picked on by a bunch of like dudes with really shitty mustaches and white vans parked out back. He'd just throw these motherfuckers through the walls. <laughs> I'm going to drop a staircase on you. What? You heard me. Um, he was eventually Ion, released put from the that. staircase down. Otherwise, no rice pudding for you tonight. <laughs> Why do I think this guy is like a fucking Dragon Ball Z character? Just like a really shitty, like, secondary character? Because he is. He's built like Lord, uh, was it King Hercules? Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's Mr. Satan's assistant or some shit. Yeah. To me, he's King but, Hercules. Close enough. But he, but he looks like Krillin. <laughs> yes. Yes. But he's got Yamcha's luck. Oh. <laughs> Dude, I still like Tien. He's still my boy. Uh, <laughs> so he's eventually released from this halfway house, and he ends up going to uh, to British Columbia um, to live with his wife. Dude, they don't give a fuck. Believe it or not, this fucking dude was married and had kids the whole time. So, and okay, he moved I didn't them even to know that. Yeah, no, he moved them to British Columbia because he's like, I don't want them anywhere near what I'm doing because they'll get hurt, and I don't want to do that. Um. I'm a real big, big shithead, and I don't want my family seeing how bad of a shithead I am. Exactly. Through the crew. It's like I don't need my my family getting caught up in my dumb shit. Uh, That's actually pretty responsible. Like it I is. Know, it... I know a guy in town who is of former gang affiliations. Actually, I know a couple of them. One is a former pagan, and one is a crip and a blood, and their kids are in the same class. And they came up here to get out of that, you know, that, that way of life. And they oh, originally yeah. were like, we sent our family. He's like, one of them said, he's like, I had my family move up here. And then when I could figure out a way how to get out, then I came up because I didn't want them to be a part of that because I didn't want them paying for my stupidity of when I was young. Right. And then like, obviously I you don't... do respect that. Yeah, and you, you don't want your kids to follow you know follow along with your mistakes that you've made because a lot of the time that's exactly what happens. Yeah, that's why when my daughter wants to learn how to paint miniatures, I'm like, no, get the fuck out of here. You're too smart for this. <laughs> Go <laughs> do smart things money. like do fucking science. I don't know. Paint canvas. That will make you money. This won't. 
so he moves hobby. <laughs> He, he does end up moving back to BC, uh, where he would actually pass away February 21st, 2017. Um, he was his, his wife actually found him dead. He died in his sleep, I believe, at the age of 53. Uh, cause of death was a pulmonary edema, so he had a heart disease. And uh, I, another weird twist here, leaves behind his wife, Tracy, who took his last name, but spelled it with a K instead of a C, because he found out after, when he was an adult... That's how his last name was supposed to have been spelled the whole time. <laughs> but when his parents moved here, somebody fucked it up. And they're like, I think that's supposed to be a C. And they're like, yeah, I guess so. You know, oh, I mean, that's not, honestly, that's not uncommon, you know, no, yeah, it's not at all. But because they try to put an island type of thing. Yeah. yeah but the fact that, that, that she changed the spelling of, of her last name which was his last name and he didn't is fucking my boggling. So yeah, he, uh, he also left his left behind his three kids, uh Johnny, Blaze and his daughter Tia. Wait, um, Johnny Blaze? Two different people. He, I promise. Doesn't matter. Johnny <laughs> and Blaze. Oh, I mean, he God. he definitely wanted that that second boy to be a wrestler. You name him Blaze, you're like, yeah, this fucking kid's or an be American a Gladiator. Oh, think about I it. Forgot about that son of a bitch. I'm kind of glad TV? that show's not. Is it still on? Like, are they still making it, or did they? Is it if like you syndication have, stuff? If you have the Vizio free channels, you could still watch it. I know you can watch it. They have an American Gladiators channel on Pluto. They were yeah, awesome. they the same thing. No, they were but coming the, back with it. But the problem is, is like half the time you get like the good stuff from the '90s. And the other half of the time, you get like the shit where Gina Carano was on it, and it was terrible because the other guy, the guys on there were awful, and they was not. It was not nearly as violent as it was back in the nineties, where they were like, "Hey, you're at the top of the pyramid, fucking see ya," and they just like launch a dude off, and like, "Oh, he separated his shoulder, but he'll be back to climb the wall." <laughs> we basically killed this poor motherfucker. Guess what? Don't worry, he'll walk it off. Fucking lasers just up there, like smoking cigarettes and kip- <laughs> kicking people in the dick as they're coming up to him. <laughs> and Nitro is trying to look like a badass, but really all he is is just a lazy ass. <laughs> Climbing up the wall behind him, just slamming their fucking faces into it. Let go! Then, like the 2008, when they're like, "Hey, I pulled your flag off. You have to stop now." Fuck that! I want Fall blood in American Gladiators. <laughs> Uh, what was the one with the ball? Um, oh, Atm- Atlasphere. Yeah, I love that. That was my second favorite one after the obstacle course with the tennis balls. The assault course. I found fucking out. love the assault course. I wanted to do that so bad when I was a kid. Found out, found out that the Atlasphere's, um, that like gas that is pressurized, is uh, nitrogen. So whenever it would launch, it would actually like be this cold jet of air that would hit them right in the gooch <laughs> just a blast of cold air in the nuts yeah or uh, in the vagina yeah lady nuts yeah frozen taco not good <laughs> keep it it'll keep it fresh though <laughs> oh shit uh, i know you missed me or maybe not oh i sure did dude i miss you all the time though <laughs> So if you guys liked what you heard here and you want more information and probably some crazier stories and what we can find out, um, keep an eye out in the next couple months. Uh, the Vice Series Dark Side of the Ring is actually releasing an episode that I'm sure is going to be wicked interesting about Johnny K9. 
Because Jim um, Cornette brought it up to him and told him that he was one of the craziest characters to ever grace the ring and that needed his own special. Yeah, actually, I would like to find the uh, the interview that he did talking about him after he died where he's like, he was one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet, except for all the time he spent in prison for killing people. He was a pretty oh, good I can, guy. I can send you those links. Yes, please do, because I would love to attach them to this so that you can kind of, people can go through and listen to him if they want. Um, but yeah, or even better yet, if you're a fan of wrestling in general, just go watch every episode of that show because they have not released a bad one yet. Um, they've all been really, really good. Uh, not going to lie, the Chris Benoit and Owen Hart episodes, I cried through the entire thing because, yeah, they were super fucking sad. But uh, so it was a Brian really, one. really good show. Really well done. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Dude, especially right towards the end when they're talking to uh, to his son. And he's got the picture of him holding him as a baby. And I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. This is going to be bad. <laughs> Niagara Falls, Frankie Jr. Um, but yeah, really, really well done. Yeah, for sure. Just fucking. Um, really good shows. Very well done again. Uh, check them out. They're awesome. Especially, like again, like I said, the new Jack episode is probably my favorite because that guy was insane. <laughs> he's talking about like one of the uh after he got out of ecw he did some uh independent show at like a fucking uh um it wasn't like a holiday in like conference room or something like that and he was fighting this guy named gypsy joe who was like oh my god have you <laughs> like seen that match? 60 years old yeah he's like he's like he wouldn't listen to me so i beat the fuck out of a hundred year old man <laughs> he just fucking died he fucked that guy up so bad <laughs> didn't he like end up fighting with like the the uh the audience too at Came that close. same one yeah pretty close <laughs> then there was the, uh, the the one in florida where he legitimately stabbed that guy like eight or nine times in the nine ring times. because he, they yeah. said i stabbed him 14 times and you can see the video i stabbed him nine times I counted. <laughs> that motherfucker should die. And what happened? When I went to jail, that guy came and said, if you train me, I will drop all charges. And I said, done. You will take me on the road, you? Done. And what happened when he dropped the charges and I got out? And I ain't never been back to Florida. Again. Fuck that guy. <laughs> R.I.P. me, Jack. This Arnold Palmer he was like, for you. Dude, he was like DMX if he was a wrestler. New Jack was a fucking gangster. Like, crazy crazy dude but anyway so that's uh that's bruiser bedlam that's our first pro athlete i'm sure it won't be our last because uh last time i checked doc ellis still pitched a no hitter on acid so that's gonna happen eventually um (laughs) but well if you do more pro wrestling i will come back because there's a few other a few other mysteries and unknown events now let me ask you who Ooh, do you think would be good. yes you yes you who do you think would be a good like another like a, another few pro wrestlers to talk about on here that would be really good mysterious death of gino hernandez uh-huh it was on it was on vice because it was actually really interesting uh you could do the bruiser brody death in puerto oh, rico that sad though yeah, that one would make me. That one will still make me tear up. Then you also have Dino Bravo. Dino Bravo, who yep. has mob connections and another mysterious death. You could do the mysterious death of Miss Elizabeth. Um, uh, 
I don't know if that was even mysterious. I think I was just Lex Luger, like pumping her full of cocaine and stuff until she he died. He said he didn't do it. He said, uh, uh, no, there's that I tend to believe he's full there. of shit, though. Of course he is. He's always <laughs> on roids and cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, well, look at him now. Yeah, dude, he ain't got no fucking legs. So, there's he's a got, few others. But... He's got fucking FDR legs now. Like, oh. You could do Jimmy Snuka and oh. the alleged murder, but convicted, but not convicted of his girlfriend. O- only not convicted because yeah. he died before the trial started. Well, that and only that he had, um, what is it? Dementia. So he was right. saying things. You could talk about the, well, there's no information on it, but the Marty Jannetty quote unquote murder that happened, but didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> That, that dude is fucking crazy. Like the death of Art Bar in Mexico, who was Eddie Guerrero's original tag team partner of the Gringos Locos. Oh shit! Yeah, dude, I can I can keep going, but I'll I'll stop right here. <laughs> Art Bar. Yep, the love okay. machine. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, when it comes to sports, for some reason, like the craziest stories seem to come out of pro wrestling and baseball. I'm not real sure why, but pro like everybody that... sense because they're gypsies, Every, right? There's always traveling and there's always drugs, alcohol, women, uh, guys who want to be with them. Like the, the owner of the U UWF. I can't remember his name currently right now, but they did a vice thing on him. And oh, uh, uh, cocaine uh, cowboy uh, and Herb Abrams. Yes, where you know that was another just, wicked fucking interesting episode. Because these people, these with pro wrestling primarily, their gimmicks are larger than life. Even the low level yes. ones, they're they are larger than life. They are either themselves turned up to eleven, taking who they are and cranking it all the way up, or they are living as somebody else. And in order to maintain that, like a Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase was not a millionaire. Vince McMahon forwarded him money and told him, (laughs) here, take whatever you can, spend it, and buy people's dinners at the most expensive restaurant to show off this gimmick. And in order to make money, you have to be that gimmick. You have to be that person. For instance, Bruiser Bedlam had to be hard. He, like, Jimmy Cornette used him as, because True the Crew, as a dock worker from, you know, Detroit. So he did everything like with the picket line. So you got this big guy holding this picket sign of will not wrestle like against the union. And he had his own like union thing. And it's, you have to take these gimmicks in order to make them work like with acting or we said it before, but like a stripper, you have to take your gimmick and make it obtainable and palatable to the masses for it to work like a sting or Hulk Hogan. They work well because they're taking the gimmick they're making it their own, but also they have the natural charisma to to keep it growing and to keep it living for an exorbitant amount of time. Because if they don't and the gimmick goes flat, you're a TL hopper and you're a plumber showing your crack. Oh, You'll just disappear so, into obscurity. <laughs> Speaking of strippers again, I would fucking die if a stripper ever came out like gimmicked up like Sting. <laughs> the face paint, yeah. the black trench coat and bat and shit. Except it probably not. wouldn't be a bat. I mean, it'd be a bat, but not like a baseball bat. That'd be fucking wicked funny. <laughs> but but yeah, but in all seriousness, that's why. Exactly. Oh my god, I remember that story. 
But <clears throat> and that's what I'm saying though is like you got to take these gimmicks, and so another story that I don't know how much time you got, but that you can talk about oh, is uh, Ming or the Great Haku oh, or just Haku, known behind the scenes, you know, behind the curtain with the boys as one of the biggest gentlest giants in the world. Give yeah. your like as listeners go look up Ming M E G M E N G. Sorry, go look him up. And one of the stories, he was in a bar fight, and he bit a dude's nose almost clean off. He bit a motherfucker's nose off. He's a big Tongan death machine who could legitimately fight because if someone said wrestling was fake, and this was with everybody who was ever in the wrestling, from the smallest little person like Rey Mysterio to the giant like Big Show or Andre the Giant, if they ever said wrestling's fake, they had to put a motherfucker in their place. Like did Vader he rip did a dude's it. eyeball out? Mm, allegedly. <laughs> but but I'm serious though, is like Vader was on TV with Undertaker, and I believe in one of the Middle Eastern countries, and they're talking about oh, how they were fake in wrestling is. Yes. And Vader, zero hesitation, keeping true to the gimmick, walked over and slapped that news anchor, like Dr. Death uh David Schultz. Yes. When he beat that dumb motherfucker's face and like slapped him in the head for saying it's fake. They had to keep the business alive. And this is why I personally loved wrestling as a kid is because, yeah, there was goofy gimmicks, but they made it believable. Now you get a lot of these social media and want to be cool guys. That's like, hey, yeah. guess what? And I am a fan of these two. Brian Myers and Kurt Hawkins, they have a podcast together. Um, you can look it up. I'm not going to give them a free plug. They don't need it because they have way more followers than you guys. Yeah, I was going to say, because all, all of our listeners would be like, yeah, we're going to go pad their numbers. <laughs> exactly. But they have a podcast together about collecting uh, wrestling action figures and some other nerddom. But in Impact, they are feuding together. Like, they're feuding against each other. So... How do you take that sweet and sour kind of mix of, oh, we're sweet now, but now we're sour then, and then we're, right. vlog we're vlogging together. But So it's a totally different era, and I understand that. But at that time, when all these crazy stories were happening, you didn't have social media. You weren't able to go on your phone and go on the Twitter machine or play games or whatever. You had beers. You were riding with a, um, with a veteran. And they were teaching the ways of the road. Yep. For instance, Harley Race, one of the best wrestlers <laughs> and one of my personal favorites of all time. There is a rumor where a younger wrestler was riding with him and Harley would have a cigar in his mouth. And anytime he wanted a beer while he was driving, he would yep. have his hand open like I a beer and have it facing towards whoever was in the passenger seat. Well, a young upstart didn't have his beer popped and facing the right, the right way so he could just take it and drink from it. He pulled over the car and told the kid, get the fuck out. And he's like, what? Get the fuck out. And he made him run five miles while Harley was driving down the road to prove a point of, as a veteran, you are here to learn the ropes. And I want, you know, I've taken my time. I've built up myself and you are here to help me. I will help you, but you're going to first, you know, you are here as my young boy. It's yes. just these kind of stories are so crazy to learn about that are slowly going away to the point of where now you have wrestlers who, okay, we're going to go back to the hotel room and play uh, video games, which I'm a video game fan too. And it's 
much safer because you can't live that life anymore. But it's no longer gimmick story driven. Now it's you're playing a character. Oh no, I'm just saying it's like now you have basically, and I hate to say it, daytime TV show or a variety hour. Yeah. Because like back in the day, if you were a face, you didn't hang out with the with the heels. Like if you were seen, if like one of your buddies was one of the bad guys and you were seen together, it was a it was a fucking like the newspapers would cover it. Um, you know about what guys like Jim Cornette. What's that? Oh, I was going to say exactly what you're saying. There was a newspaper coverage of when a the hottest white meat baby face of Jim Hacksaw, Jim Duggan got pulled over with the worst heel in the business of the time, the Iron Sheik. They got pulled yep. over <laughs> and had drugs in the car and they were smoking weed. It killed. Of course they were. It killed Jim or uh, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan's whole career at that time. He was on yep. a huge push to get main event status. And this dropped him down to doing jobs and basically being a quote unquote janitor and iron sheet, just, you know, he, whatever he turned a baby face and, you know, to being on his team. So, and like, you know, you, you had guys like, uh, like Jim Cornette, who you talked about earlier, who have stories of, you know, fans that hated the bad guy so much that they were willing to like charge the ring to try to stab people because they're like, no, fuck this guy. He's going to hurt. The, he's going to hurt. What's his name? You know, and there wasn't always security there to handle that. You got to take care of that yourself. And that's why he was, you know, why he had the tennis racket. Cause he'd come out, he'd have it covering one side of his head so that he could keep an eye out with everything else. So that if people are throwing shit at him, he can at least block one side of his head and keep an eye on everything on the other sides. But yeah, you're hundred percent right. Um, Bruiser Brody had the chain cause he would swing that thing around. Um, Stan Hansen had his, his bull rope. Yep. Um, Dutch, uh, Dutch Mantel had his, uh, his bullwhip, um, when, before Jim Duggan became, you know, the happy go lucky baby face and America go USA. Oh, he was a heel in Puerto Rico and he yeah. had cups of piss thrown on him. People trying to stab him. He actually got cut one time from a little grandmother. So he didn't know what to do. So the booker, I think it was actually Dutch Mantel or somebody told him, Go find something to bring with you to the ring so you can beat people back. And he found a two by four, literally just hanging out in a closet. And then he was like, okay, do I take the broom handle or do I take the <laughs> two by four? He took the two by four. And now all of a sudden, because heels, specifically managers, needed to have a weapon of some sort. And the, and the common denominator there was wrestlers in Puerto Rico back then. Like the, the fans took that really, really seriously. And if they didn't like you, they were going to do whatever they could to try to hurt you. Well, exactly because they wanted their favorite to win, right? And you can't again. You can't do that now. But again, it brings a whole like legitimacy to the to the sport. Well, there's a difference between you know like what wrestling up into I don't know two thousands or whatever else, something like that. Because I mean, you know, you had wrestlers now. Everybody knows what their fir- real first name and last name yeah. is. Yeah. You know, and back in the day, you just knew them as Hacksaw or Superfly or, you know, Snooka or uh, the Von Eriksons, Kevin and Eric. Uh, I mean, even though that was their first, the real names, but but like but that... um, Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov. I mean, you knew like that's what their names were. And, you know, you didn't know anything else about them. So, I mean, if you were a diehard fan of 
said person, you were, you know, you do whatever. But the, the, the difference is now they're not wrestlers anymore. They're people portraying characters on TV. Because exactly. when you go when you go from a company, like a different company or a different territory to another one, nine times out of ten now, you can't bring the name with you that you've been working under because that company that you are working for owns it. And they do that specifically so that if you leave, you have to rebuild your fan base, essentially, which is well, super John, shitty. John Moxley was Moxley in CZW and mm-hmm. all these independent companies went to WWE, they're like, well, we don't want to use that name because it's already, it's already, it's tarnished. You know, yeah, it's tarnished. We didn't make it. Like, Vinnie Mac loves to make his own characters. He likes to be able to have ownership on it, unless if it's already in the contract and they brought in a big name, like an AJ Styles or a Brock Lesnar or whoever, that they already have a marketable name. And then when they leave, they take all that stuff away. So Dean Ambrose doesn't have Dean Ambrose anymore. Well, he already had the trademark on Mox and Moxley, so he just started using that. There's a lot of wrestlers that, before they leave, they get their trademark on their name. For instance, um, before the passing of Brody Lee, when he was leaving, he was getting the trademark of Brody, Brody Lee, and and basically try to get Lee as well, because WWE was going through a point of they were trying to buy the 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 name of these wrestlers uh prime example um dudley boys devon and bubba ray dudley when yep. that name when ecw went south that since it was a paul Heyman collection or creation um paul sold everything to vince vince took it all and now owns it all that means the name dudley boys bubba ray and devon went with it and they didn't try to buy the trademark until Bubba tried to buy it. Well, Vince has more money, bought it in a snap. So that means that they weren't allowed to use Dudley's, Dudleyville, Bubba, or Devon, D-E-V-O-N. So now, in order to create some sort of marketing, there was Bubba, B-U-B-A, but then he changed it to Bully Ray, and Devon went to D-V-O-N or D-V-O-N. V-I-N, so, or some subsidiary of that. So they couldn't use the Dudley Death Drop, which was the name of their finisher, because that was, again, an ECW-owned property, Yep. thus owned by Vince. So they called it the 3D or the Death Valley Drop. Or, again, they changed it, the name around a little bit, and or just 3D, and they owned whatever they could. A lot of these wrestlers have to go through that. And ones that come through the system that have to now go into the independence they fall apart because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to be an independent contractor. They only know the WWE style where someone like a Bruiser Bedlam, okay, if you took that away from him, he can go back to Johnny Canine. Or he would come up with a different name out of just looking out of the blue. John he, he, he used He used one uh, Taurus Bulba for a little bit, which made him sound like a fucking Pokemon, but... But yeah, again, no. it's you had to come up with a name, and during that time, you would just have a name that was around the independence, unless if you made it to a major promotion, and then they would repackage you. Right. So that's again, you don't really get that anymore. Now it's yeah, everybody's I, trying to be the cool guy. Yeah, and I, I was thinking of, of a guy. Um, what is his name? Uh, Describe him. I think he's. I think he's in uh, AEW now or something like something like cage or something like that or brian cage oh brian cage yeah like is he uh 
like a big guy, kind of like. Yeah, big Jack Zilleth, Master Thriller. Oh yeah, he's yeah. a big boy. Yeah. Looks like Wolverine yeah. on steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was in, well, <laughs> when he, he was in the developmental series, he was known as Logan Cage because he yeah, was a massive he, uh, Wolverine fan. He um, he, I, I saw him on uh, a YouTube thing. He was uh, like actually like getting um, his uh, some stuff worked on by a chiropractor, and it was pretty cool. Like he was talking, like he, you know, when you're talking about Jim Cornette being like a historian of the stuff he was like telling the guy the chiropractor like a whole bunch of stuff you know i was like holy crap you know that's that's absolutely amazing like it, you know all this stuff but you're you know what they would consider a young pup in in the well, yeah, in the wrestling of scene. Wrest- most of them are wrestling fans it's the ones that come up through the wwe de- developmental that are like football players, basketball players, or whatever, models that they can get these beautiful people, like yep. Rob Gronkowski, prime example. Should never been in a ring. No. Um, And it's nothing against football players switching careers because there have been a bunch of football players that have switched careers to become wrestlers. Vader, uh, Rick Rude, a few other people, you know, they were football really? players. Vader played for the LA Rams. Rick no, Rude, I, I, I knew I Vader. A, I didn't. I didn't know Rick Rude. I didn't a, know Rick Rude. I don't think he was a pro. He was not pro. It was more like college, I think. Okay. Or maybe I'm confusing him with somebody else. But regardless, it's like you can switch careers. That's fine. It's just when they take somebody off of the the field and instantly put him in a major market of spot, and then you can't even yeah. tell Lawrence the history Taylor of comes it. Comes to mind as well. So it's like you need to know your history in order yeah. to, be a, to make a success in this business. And that's why we brought you on because you are a fountain of knowledge, though. I'm a yeah, dude. I'm a I have Jeopardy knowledge of random stuff. Like guess what <laughs> I found out today? What's Wombats that? Wombats poop in cubes. Cubes. Yeah, you know why? They I they got square buttholes. I don't know. No, they poop in cubes because that way when they're marking their territory, the poop doesn't roll. Their intestines actually makes it into cube form. Or if you ever seen the brownie bites that were originally, I think, from Domino's, like the little uh-huh. fudgems things, they basically yep. poop those, and that's how they mark the oh, territory really so good, it doesn't though. roll away. So yeah, there's your random knowledge. Well, here, here's one. I brought this one to Kevin's attention last week. I'm not sure if you knew this. Uh, there's a theory going around that the song Africa by Toto is about a guy that is a werewolf. That'd be sick. Yeah. So if you if My you look at the lyrics, song. it makes sense. Some of it makes sense. It's it like, does, huh. but it doesn't. It's just basically him talking about how he misses the savannah. Yes, but you bless the rains down in Africa because when it's cloudy. Because it's a dry season. Jackass, if it's cloudy, there's no moon. If there's no moon, he can't turn into a werewolf. Then he can be with his lady friend as a man. I'm telling you, it makes sense. I think you're both right on this. But anyway, before we start arguing about this or some fucking how get on aliens, Kevin, let's talk about some goddamn headphones. I wasn't going to talk about aliens, but I will we've talk been doing about it a headphones. lot lately. All right. All right. Anyway. So head on over to studio.com. Check them out. They have the headphones, earbuds, and a Bluetooth speaker. Whatever you want. They got it. Uh, We're not the If you're looking core. for 
Yes, they the do. Claws. They have the claws. And then they also they have the yeah, Ets buddy. that are wireless, Bluetooth wireless uh, earbuds, and they are actually uh, reduced in price right now. And also, you can get with them if you uh, order them separately. You can get a Bluetooth wireless charger to charge your Ets, which is pretty damn cool. Um, and if you put whatever you find in your basket and go to checkout, put the promo code of DarkWindows15 in, get 15% off your entire purchase, you know, because why not? Hell not? Blop, blop. Who likes saving money? Everybody. <laughs> I right. do. You can also go over to another little place. What's that place? If you want your balls to look like this guy's head, Fu Manchu mustache and all, you can go over to manscaped.com. Grab yourself the Lawnmower 4.0. It's actually, uh, you'll get 20% off if you use the promo code DARKWINDOWS at checkout. You'll also get free worldwide shipping unless you're in jail for blowing up a police station because I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to shave your nuts in jail, but I don't know. Yeah, because um, the boys need that cushion for that pushing. That's right. You don't want no chafing the, when you get that rocking going. The, the nut fuzz is an extra protective layer. <laughs> You joke, but it kind of is. You can can also go to darkwindowspod.com and uh, check out links to all of our stuff there. We've got links to our Age of Radio, where you can go find your next favorite podcast. You want true crime? We got true crime. You want history? We got that. You, if you're a beer nerd looking to make beer, we got a guy that will tell you how to make beer. We got sports. We got comic books. There's a little bit of something for everybody. And while you're at darkwindowspod.com, you can also check out our uh, our friends at Studio. We have a link to them as well. And you can find links to all of our social media. We are on Facebook at Dark Windows Podcast. We are on Instagram at Dark Windows Pod. And we are on Twitter via Instagram because I don't know how to use Twitter, but I know how to use Instagram at Dark yes. Windows Pod also. So, also, you can email us if you want to email. Yes. If you still do that at dark windows podcast or dark windows pod at gmail.com and you can yeah. harass us if you want you know yes i mean kevin doesn't mind you know. we we enjoy interacting with our fans <laughs> we do we do we do i wouldn't call and, you guys uh, fans you're more uh you're more like a family at this point i guess because i talk sure. to more of, I, I talk to more of you than i talk to most of my family so but also hey we we forget to keep saying this rate review and i'll subscribe and all that good stuff yeah you know. we forget to keep saying it all the time podcast but. things yeah do the stuff that you do not the voodoo can i say but... one last thing sure, sure go ahead can. before i go boys and girls i'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints because the sinners have more fun they like to snack on danger dine on death and always remember den ben don't make any money deuces kids this... i'm out this fucking guy is a promo machine. He was born in the wrong decade. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that made me feel good. I want to do a count of how many wrestling references I made in this episode and have see if any fans can count them all. Because there there's is, a shitload. <laughs> there's a ton. At least in the first five minutes. There's a bunch. There was a bunch just now, too. And there was like mixed metaphors coming from different folks, too. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway... Just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't what? mean that the dark what can't see into you. What? What? Huh? what? <laughs>
goodbye. Kevin, hit that music.